I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we're talking about the episode of NXT that originally aired on June 26th, 2013. In this episode, you call out William Regal, you're gonna get fucking William Regal. <laughs> and when you call out Lucas Brown from the math view, apparently you're gonna get fucking Lucas Brown. Yes, you are. Welcome to episode 6 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we had the race conversation. Yep. Almost certainly not for the last time. Nope. And we achieved the secret dream of millions of Lord of the Rings fans by watching Mary Brandy Buck eat absolute shit. <laughs> Come on, you know you've always wanted it, Bob. No, I love it. It's fine. It's fine. Pippin's the good one. Everyone knows Pippin's the good one. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> This episode, things are a little bit different. We will be doing Bob's Breakdown, of course, as well as the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling and the cheap pop quiz, but we have our first ever guest on The Next Wrestling Fan, and it is none other than Lucas Brown. Lucas hosts the wonderful podcast, The Math of You, which Bob and I have both appeared on, and he has also made a couple of appearances on our other podcast, Smash Fiction, most recently in the wrestling-themed episode of Surprise Party. He was at the very top of our list for guests on this show, and we're so happy to have him. Lucas, thank you for coming on, and welcome. Thanks so much. I'm very happy to be here. I was lucky enough to be one of the beta listeners for this particular podcast. And I was so excited because Megan Bob is someone who we've all kind of sneakily been trying to get into wrestling without having to, you know, hit someone full force with the mech truck that is all of wrestling. So there's been lots of like sending Bob pictures of someone and going, Bob, what do you think? And usually the answer is, I love her. She is my wife now. <laughs> Where did you find that quote from me? <laughs> you are definitely one of the people who has been instrumental in getting Bob interested in wrestling because... Once she got to know you a little bit after you, we started coming on each other's podcasts and she realized you were a wrestling fan, she realized that cool people could be wrestling fans too. So that Aww. was a big step. I would say that's a big step in every wrestling fan's journey is finding your little group of people. Like I can talk about my group of people that go to PWA, which is my local wrestling show, which will come up in this episode. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, finding that this cool group of people can become your little like wrestling posse and you turn up and people know you and stuff. It's a good feeling. Aww. Yeah. Well, Lucas, I want to ask you a little bit about wrestling and you and how you got into wrestling. What were the circumstances of you first getting into pro wrestling? What year was it? How old were you? What company were you watching? Is there like a favorite wrestler or storyline? Like, tell us how this happened for you since this podcast is about getting into pro wrestling. It's actually quite difficult to pinpoint it exactly. Like, I can remember a few in like moments. But one of the big things is that my dad was always a pro wrestling fan. He used to mm. go to the little tiny arenas in Hull, Quebec, and he would see uh, Johnny Terrio and Edouard Carpentier and other uh, wrestlers <laughs> of the time. Who like, Edward Carpentier, who is credited with creating the drop kick, which was called yep. the Savat kick at the time. Uh, and they would sneak into these events because they couldn't afford to actually pay. 
And everyone thought it was real, so everyone just accepted these people were local heroes. Although there is a story of a local wrestler talking shit in a, one of the local bars and getting a pint glass thrown at his head <gasps> and not looking so tough then. But hey, that's, that's Hull, Quebec. Hull is a rough neighborhood. But when I was growing up, it was just something that would occasionally be on. And my dad would kind of point me at it and go, see, that's wrestling. You know, that's this person. He's a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's going to try to win. But I have a couple of very distinct memories of being at the Regent Mall, the then new Regent Mall in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and wandering away from my mom at the food court over to the newsstand where there was a WWF magazine. And Mm. WWF magazine had a particular segment called Battle of the Titans, where they would go Megan Bob fanfic style through the beats of the match from preparation in the locker room to entrances to different spots, using the names to say, oh, this is what this maneuver is, interspersed with pictures to show you what was going on. And it was never a big match. It was usually like, the one I remember, it was like Virgil versus Cato from the Orient Express, uh, who was not an Asian man. He was, in fact, wearing a mask. Um, Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) And very much like going through the moves. And that was how I learned the structure of a wrestling match. Also, when I would go to Kirkland Lake with my cousin, Jean-Michel, you know, we'd have like the little cabins by the lake and all of my mom's relatives would come down and we would walk, you know, 25 minutes to the gas station to rent whatever wrestling tapes they had, bring them back and watch them on the tiny little TV in the corner of the cabin, including like Survivor Series 1987 (laughs) or, you know, stuff like that. And Survivor Series is great for that because Megan Bob, it's teams of five wrestlers aside and they Whoa. and every time someone is pinned or submits they're eliminated so you end up could end up with like a five-on-one situation Jeez! Uh, all the matches were like that at that time so it was a great way to learn every wrestler on the roster yeah that's true that's because true. we would rent it for two days and we'd watch it six times in those oh two oh my days. god <laughs> after that like after showing this interest uh, both my parents really encouraged it and so i got a subscription to wwf magazine and Uh, My dad would also pick me up whenever he was traveling. Any of these random, like, pro wrestling, I don't even know if it was Pro Wrestling Insider or any of the the dirt sheets, but it was just these random, mostly black and white wrestling magazines that I would pour over because they were Mm -hmm. wrestlers I didn't know. And they would have, like, power rankings and, like, actual standings as if it was a real sport. And, you know, (laughs) pictures of bloody matches between Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher involving a fork. It was the wrestling internet before there was the internet. Yeah. And I used to have my mom go through the magazines and fold over the ads for Fang because I, it was too scary and I didn't want to look at it. <laughs> but it just became this thing that I did, this thing I was involved in. And if you want to talk favorite wrestlers, it's real simple. I was told Hulk Hogan was the best because he was the champion, which he was at the time, even right. though that was the tail end of Hulkamania. It was around the time of the match made in hell, him and Ultimate Warrior versus uh, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Colonel Mustafa, and General Adnan, which, oof. Yeah, I want to say that was SummerSlam 91? Something like that? That's the one, yeah. So yeah. not very far after the stuff I was watching in the cabin. And then the same, the same bill was the match made in heaven where Macho Man married Miss Elizabeth. Right. Which, bless. But what happened throughout that is that I would often be really interested in the intercontinental matches. So smaller wrestlers, faster pace, more interesting moves, because that was what I wanted to see. And in those old tapes leading into the newer tapes that I would be watching and renting was a young guy. You might have heard of him, Miles. His name was Bret Hart. I have heard of him. He's Canadian. (laughs) He is. And that was part of the allure was that they would say, oh, here's the Hart Foundation. They're Canadian. And I was Canadian. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And also, Bret at the time was a very slim wrestler. He would do lots of fast technical moves and be a lot quicker and more interesting than the other wrestlers. He was feuding with Mr. Perfect at the time. And those matches hold up. They're real good. 
What you then saw over the next maybe five years was Bret Hart going from a tag team wrestler to an intercontinental champion to a world champion competitor to world champion. And watching that in real time as it played out was so important for me to see this person who was just one of a slew of characters that I'd picked out was chosen to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why when I, you know, because frankly, Bret Hart takes himself too seriously. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, there is there are some questionable things that have happened since. But honestly, that kind of progression of watching my guy, the one that I picked, the Canadian guy who I most identified with, go from a small bit player to the star was something I've never forgotten. That's awesome. Let me just quickly translate a little bit of that for Bob and for other people listening to this who don't necessarily know any of these words you're saying, like intercontinental. No, I do um, want to say one thing is that this feels for me like, you know, whenever your parents would have friends over and they would be talking about stuff that is like adult stuff and you're sure. there and they're drinking beer and you're sort of like peeking over the edge <laughs> of the couch and they're like, here, you can have a sip of beer and you're like, man, this is awful, but it's what adults drink. That's interesting. And then like just <laughs> listening to this stuff going, what does any of this language mean? That's a really good analogy for yeah. wrestling. It's, it's it's awful, but it's what adults do. <laughs> That's a- <laughs> Jesus. Um, so just the quick version in the 80s, when WWF started becoming really huge, which is when you see Hulk Hogan doing his thing for a number of years, the wrestlers who were competing for the world championship, the big championship, were always kind of these big buff macho dudes who didn't really move very quickly or do anything athletic. They just kind of like stood there and punched each other until one of them went down, essentially. Okay. Um, that's a simplification, but it, you know, you get the idea. It was very slow, you know, just like strong men doing strong men things. Is that where Randy Savage, is that the time he's around? Yes. Although yeah. Randy Savage was one of the ones who was kind of transitional between uh, the big guy style and the stuff that Miles is about to talk about. Oh, okay. Savage was was a whole different animal. He was literally in about a million ways. <laughs> oh. Um, on the lower part of the card, before you'd get to the world championship matches, that's when you'd get people competing for the intercontinental championship. That was a slightly less prestigious title at the time. Huh. I mean, it still is, but, you know, it's pretty prestigious, but not as prestigious as the world championship. And in that picture is when you'd have guys like Randy Savage, like uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, all these dudes who were doing really athletic, faster, different kinds of wrestling. And as a result, the Intercontinental Championship was seen as, it was the work rate title, right? Like when you could actually get in the ring and do some really cool shit, you were probably competing for the Intercontinental Championship. And Bret Hart and to a slightly different degree, Shawn Michaels, sort of the guys in the late 80s, early 90s, they were the ones who really normalized that faster paced, you know, more uh, exciting style of wrestling. And again, what I just said is also a simplification because we haven't even talked about Mexico and Japan and like all the other stuff that's happening with wrestling. It's a whole thing, but I just wanted yeah. to give some context. Okay. Yeah, basically, the Intercontinental title is known to people who know the business. This is not the sign that you were the most popular. This is the sign you're really good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. So the popular guys get to fight for the world championship, but the guys who can go out there and have a fantastic 30-minute long technical wrestling classic got to fight for the Intercontinental title. And things have changed since then. It's a whole, you know, there's there's a different story. And I want to talk a little bit about 
um, something that's more directly relevant to our interest, which is that, Lucas, what is your relationship with NXT specifically? How did you come to NXT? Well, it is entirely related to my relationship with my partner and the mother of my child. Oh, okay. Because um, I go through fits and starts with wrestling because since I've been in Australia, uh, with the exception of occasionally renting a DVD at the video store, which I did during my first couple of years here. That's how I got to see the wonderful Lita, Matt Hardy, Kane miscarriage angle, which I oh would boy. lovingly scrape from my brain. <laughs> uh, Let's not before, go there. <laughs> yeah, because we never had cable television. We only had free-to-air TV, and free-to-air TV only showed Raw at like midnight. Or, or occasionally on Sunday mornings, they would show an edited compilation. And so... I would always pirate my pay-per-views. And there were times where I wasn't watching at all. And then I would pirate for a while and only watch pay-per-views. Then came the summer of Punk, which is not going to be anything to Megan Bob, but Miles will know. And suddenly I, I need to be watching week to week. So I was downloading Raw and SmackDown to put on my iPad to watch on my very long commute in the morning or on my lunch breaks. And I went maybe four years like that before eventually burning out. Then the network became a thing. And suddenly everything was available. But before the network, what I would do is I would go over to my then new girlfriend's house. And she had cable because she worked in TV and so could write it off on her taxes and so got everything. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I would just be flipping through the channels and I'd be like, oh, NXT is on. I've heard about this. This is where the Nexus came from. And then I turned it on. And what was great about it is it was a 45-minute episode, which is like a nice chunk of TV to have on. While dinner was coming or yeah. while you were doing something else uh, that wasn't three hours of Raw. Sorry, WWE. Nobody wants three hours of Raw. Nobody <laughs> wants three hours of Raw. <laughs> and and also because NXT was, again, most of the time was this faster, more technical style because I got into it just before Sami Zayn's Road to Redemption, Miles. Mm-hmm. And so that Which was we'll a, get very, much later. It's <laughs> a very good time to get into NXT. And I started, started watching it together. So I'd come back and there'd be like eight episodes taped. And so I'd sit and watch two or three of them and eventually started myself up a network subscription so I could watch it myself and follow through. And so it was part of the early stages of our relationship, but also got me back into watching wrestling regularly again. That's one of the great things about NXT is it will suck you in. Are you still watching? Uh, no, I dropped off shortly before Hero was born. So about mm-hmm. two years ago. That makes sense. Uh, purely because I didn't have the time. Yeah. Uh, but... I do follow the way that wrestling should be followed. I follow wrestling through Twitter now. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that I look at gift sets, I look at my friends' reactions, and uh, sort of keep up that way. New media, ladies and gentlemen. All right, well, Lucas, I I have one more question for you, but I think I want to wait until the end, actually. So just keep that in mind. I got one more thing I want to ask you about. We're going to get into Bob's breakdown, but before we get into Bob's breakdown, of course, we have to talk about last episode's cheap pop quiz. We have to let Bob know if she got some questions right and moved any number of steps closer to getting me to read a romance novel or fanfic of her choice. Yeah. So here are the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Number one, the question was, what's going to happen with Leo Kruger next episode? Is it A, we have to watch the exact same fucking video package again. B, we have to watch the exact same fucking video package again, but this time he actually wrestles immediately afterward. C, we don't have to watch the video package again, but he does finally wrestle. Or D, 
nothing. He's not on the episode at all. Bob, you chose B. We have to watch the exact same fucking video package again, but this time he actually wrestles afterward, and you are correct. Yeah, I screamed when he came on the TV, because I was like, I did it! I got this one! (laughs) I also screamed, but for different reasons. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Question two. Next episode features the return of Big E Langston, who will be taking on a man we haven't met yet named Aiden English. How does Langston feel after losing his title, and what happens? Is it A, he's fucking pissed and destroys English in less than a minute? B, he's fucking pissed and he ends up losing by disqualification when he won't listen to the ref? C, he's fucking pissed and his emotions allow English to take advantage, leading to a second straight surprise loss? Or D, he's timid and withdrawn, having lost all his confidence and English defeats him easily? Bob, you got right that he was fucking pissed. Yeah. Uh, but you said the answer was C, his emotions allow English to take advantage, leading to a second straight surprise loss. As you now know, that is incorrect. He destroys English in less than a minute. It was he fucking kills that boy. Yeah, Yo. even though I was wrong, I was so glad to be wrong. I mean, I was ready for a vulnerable Biggie Langston, but I was glad to see him just cream him. It was pretty great. Yeah. I got to say something about Aiden English, and I was so happy to see him again because Aiden English is a really good wrestler. Like, he's got great conditioning and he's in great shape, but not in a showy way. Mm. Like, yes, like, you put him in a polo shirt and, like, some bad slacks and he could teach you social studies. He's yeah. very lean. Yeah, extremely <laughs> lean. I remember, like, looking at him when I was first getting into NXT and going, yeah, that's someone who you might talk shit to at a bar and he would slap your silly head off. Yeah, yeah he would. <laughs> All right, and question three. This is maybe my favorite question. That I've, because of what happened with it, this might be my favorite question ever on the Cheap Pop. <laughs> Which character utters the following poem next episode? Ugh. Fallen into the ashes of the unknown, the hands of mercy have freed me. Was it A, Bray Wyatt, B, Page, C, The Ascension, Connor O'Brien, or D, the play-by-play commentator, Tom Phillips? Uh, Bob, you chose D, but you specifically said he would be talking about Connor O'Brien. Yep. You were so close. I was. The correct answer was C, Connor O'Brien, and I knew I would fucking get you if I threw in Todd. I, or t- uh, Tom, boy. whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't like matter Regal, what his cares? name is. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was like, ah, damn it. But again, because having Connor O'Brien say it was so delightful, I was like, eh, you know what? I'll take it. It's better just to get to see this. Well, you got a point, Bob, and I think you're up to seven now, so we're I getting there. I think I am. So with that out of the way, Bob, give us the breakdown. So match one, Biggie Langston against Aiden English. Langston looks so focused, like he's in a trance. And then I got my first close-up look at Aiden English. And I wondered, where is this man's penny farthing? (laughs) He looks exactly like a gentleman wrestler from the turn of the century. And therefore, also like a hipster. Because he's got those little tight red jeggings and a fiddly Mm. little mustache. Mm -hmm. All right. My first tag in. Are hipsters heels in wrestling? Are they anything? Because I'm trying to remember 2013, and this is my first time seeing what I would describe as a hipster on NXT, so I'm trying to get a feel for what does the hipster subculture mean in wrestling? Okay, I can jump in and answer this one. Yeah, go for Uh, it. Okay, the hipster subculture is kind of tied to anything related to the youths or anything that the the (laughs) audience of your standard wrestling show would not understand, and that they are immediately vilified. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> I Example. hate new things. Boom, oh my electricity. God. <laughs> you've got to imagine in the backstage of that wrestling show, there is at this point a 70-year-old man uh. going, I don't like this thing. And then people bringing stuff to him and him going, that thing is stupid. Make that thing a bad guy. Things in wrestling that have been made into heelish or bad guy characters include, this isn't a Dan list, I'm sorry, but it's just off the top of my head, environmentalism. What? Mm -hmm. Hatred of pollution. Uh, enjoying coffee. Being smart or going to university. Wow. Uh, all of these things are villainous, hated, reviled characteristics in oh professional wrestling. Again, on, on the main roster, on Vince's program, okay. again, I just want to add, that happens less than NXT. Okay. Uh, CJ Parker started NXT, pal. I'm not saying it doesn't happen at all. I'm just saying it happens <laughs> less. There is a guy in my local wrestling league whose name is Sam Osborne. He's a very good wrestler. The only way that this young, charismatic, good-looking, incredibly in shape, good wrestler can get heat and he does get heat, is being built from the North Shore, which is a very rich and affluent area of Sydney. Mm -hmm. He comes out with a, uh, a tennis sweater around his shoulders, carrying oh a coffee God. cup from Campos, which is a very sort of high-end coffee chain. So he carries his little keep cup to the ring with the sweater over his shoulders and he doesn't have to say anything everyone's instantly booing him because fuck yeah. you North Shore wanker oh I hate you and I'm like he's just got coffee it's yeah. good coffee too I buy Campos beans hated and reviled as we record this there's currently a wrestler who's very popular who became a villain and his thing became like yelling about how like boomers are ruining the planet for everyone oh, yeah. it's, it's clear that vince mcmahon does not understand why people don't boo him for this and it's hilarious <laughs> yeah. so many uses of that gif of why are you booing me i'm right yeah exactly beautiful Okay, so the match is over in less than a minute. Aiden English gets the stuffing knocked out of him. And I think that the most important thing to note is that Langston does his finishing move on English three times while English flops weakly on the mat, coughing gently like he's dying of Victorian <laughs> novel disease. If you did not notice his weak little coughs, you should go back and rewatch it because it's great. He's got the black lung pop. He does. He's just going... <laughs> Backstage, Renee Young is talking to Emma and her bubble gun. At yeah. Well, Emma is doing so her excited. best air chops, trying to get those bubbles. <laughs> the look of concentration on her face somehow rivals that of Rodin's The Thinker. Renee <laughs> asks what her plan is for this match with Oksana. To the surprise of no one, Emma's plan is to, quote, win, quote. That's right. Good plan, Emma. Okay, so match two starts. Oksana comes to the ring, small fanfare. Emma comes to the ring and the crowd is chanting, Emma, Emma, as the match starts. And I don't think I realized until now how much of a favorite she is. Like, even though uh, William Regal and Tom Phillips were talking positively about her, I was still going, oh, I see. They really prefer her. Like, maybe she's the favorite of all the female wrestlers I've seen so far in terms of crowd reaction. So the bell goes and Oksana is slinking around the mat like discount Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. Yeah. She drops Emma, tries three covers in a row, and every time lays herself over Emma in a real soft focus saxophone solo kind of way. So then the match devolves into rolling around and slamming heads on the mat. Real stereotypical, quote, girl fight, which was boring. Same old shit. Same old shit. Yeah. But We've then, come so far. Yeah. in this move that made my jaw drop, 
Oksana gets Emma's head locked between her thighs and then Oksana bounces her ass up and down, slamming Emma's head into the mat. And then Oksana holds her hands up in the air to the crowd as if to say, are you not entertained? (laughs) And honestly, Oksana, yes. Yes, I am. It's very confusing to watch because it's not sexy, but it's also not not sexy, which (laughs) could probably be the tagline for wrestling as a sport. (laughs) Uh, Emma ends the match with her dilemma hold, a.k.a. the reverse Ouroboros of flesh. And then (laughs) the Muta lock. Yes, that is an extremely difficult move to oh, maintain and and do looks, with any degree of precision. It, she's really good at it. Yeah. She's so good at it, it looks like it's not hard. She has core strength for days. Yeah, I can't yeah. cannot identify. Emma, as is mentioned in the commentary of one William Regal, who I love, is Australian. Mm-hmm. And she started off at PWA, my local Aww. fed, when she was oh, like cool. 15. Oh, uh, they let whoa. her put up the ring uh, along with all the other trainees. So she was one of the crew of miscellaneous folks around the ring who like will be in the crowd to catch someone doing a dive or Mm -hmm. help out with merch before actually becoming a wrestler for them. Eventually, she moved to Canada and trained with Lance Storm. But yeah, she cut her teeth in my local fed, PWA in Sydney. Okay, so the Leo Kruger package returns and then the prophecy comes (laughs) true. as well. That's right. (laughs) We get the man himself. So Dante Dash is already in the ring. The room goes dark. And then spotlight as Leo Kruger is crouching at the top of the ramp like an animal. He leers at the crowd like he has almost certainly tasted human flesh before. (laughs) (laughs) The bell goes. Kruger is in control of the match and then just starts playing with his food. Dash is face down on the mat. So Kruger gets one of his arms up behind him and starts bending Dash's wrist back at an unnatural angle. And Kruger then pulls him up and gets Dash's arm and jams his shoulder into Dash's armpit, wrenching it in the socket. Guys, this is the first match I've seen where either the moves are not just plainly aggressive and they're not being annoying or gross. You know, like whenever Dawson and Dylan do the fingers up the nose thing. This one looked like it just was to cause pain. And that was the first time I'd seen it. So I was wondering, it's like extra heel. What is that? What you're seeing is you're seeing the beginnings of submission wrestling. So this is a whole subset of a wrestling style where you'll have someone who is often referred to as a technical performer or technical specialist. And their whole tactic is to pick a body part or pick a strategy and to work that strategy leading up to their finishing move. So in this case, what you see is you see Kruger doing a lot of attacks to the shoulder, attacks to the arm, taking a few hits in order to then sucker someone in, wear them down with these submission moves so that Uh, because we know his finishing move works on the upper arm and shoulder. So he's weakening that throughout the match so that when he does lock in his finishing move, it will be super effective and instantly end the match. This is referred to as targeting a body part. So it's very much a a tactic you'll see of technical or submission wrestlers. And for a good guy submission wrestler, this is portrayed as being smart, being cagey, uh, and (laughs) planning in ahead. For a bad guy wrestler, this is, oh, he's torturing his opponent. It's because he's sadistic and he loves watching them squirm and writhe. Yeah. 
another such attribute. And for for Leo Kruger in particular, his character very much is like kind of a Craven the Hunter kind of like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to stalk my prey type of thing. So it's an instance of the wrestling style fitting the character really well, mm. which is really important to good wrestling and something that often gets missed if you're a casual viewer because it's hard to understand like how a wrestling move could fit a character. But Kruger is a great example of that. I was noticing that and I didn't know why it felt so appropriate. It just felt Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a cohesive narrative being shown to me right now. So then Kruger starts throwing Dash into the ring post like he's trying to play the world's weirdest version of horseshoes. And you know what? (laughs) Props to Kruger. He is very good at it. And then in sort of keeping with this torture basement, the match ends with a tap out because ow. And then in a real Chekhov's gun... Kruger gets out of the ring to go crouch in the corner of the arena. I was calling it the arena. Guys, what's that area called where he's crouching? Is it just called outside the ring? I think it's just called outside yeah. the ring. Yeah. Okay. At ringside. It's actually a, a good way to say yeah, it. Yeah, ringside, ringside is probably ah, a good way okay. to say it. There we go. So he's crouching ringside. And then one other thing I wanted to ask about that I've seen in a couple of matches and I never bothered asking about it. Whenever a wrestler walks past exclusively a male wrestler, people will touch them, but especially like little kids will like pat them. Is that just mm-hmm. a part of the wrestling fandom that you touch the people that you're watching? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. It used to be in the old shows, like the ones I went to when I was a kid, there would be seats because it would be like a, like a hockey arena or something. Oh, wow. And so most of you would sit to watch the match, but then there would be an entrance ramp with these sort of guardrails. And what would happen is all of the kids and the big fans would run from their seats down to the entrance ramp so that when the wrestler would come in, for a fan favorite wrestler, they would be holding their hands out to slap the hands of the people going Aww. by. And if they were a bad guy, they would pretend to and then pull their hand away or <laughs> right. not look at anyone or, right. you know, those kind of things. So that's a holdover from sort of earlier wrestling. When your wrestler comes out, and yeah, some people would want to pat him on the back, some people tap him on the shoulder. Now it's just kind of they do it because they've always done it. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's part of, I, I touched him. I'm never washing this hand again. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a hand so greasy in my life. (laughs) Saving it. Okay, then we get a package, and it is Poetry Corner with Connor (laughs) O'Brien as he reads some of the work that he wrote during home period. (laughs) Prepare to see that written on his backpack in Whiteout. Although credit where credit is due, the Ascension has always had a very strong slam poetry team. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then we get match four, which is Mickey Keegan versus Bo Dallas. The crowd is not sure how they feel about Bo Dallas. Is a real scrabble bag of onomatopoeia situation. Just a morass of sounds. None of them particularly positive or negative, just sounds. Phillips and Regal give us a quick reminder. Leo Kruger is still lurking there. So Keegan's got, I would say, maybe a foot and a half on Dallas. And he is wearing a singlet and knee-high socks. So he looks to me like a cartoon dad at the beach. (laughs) Dallas ends up having to fight a little differently to deal with how tall Keegan is. And in a thing that I did not believe was possible, he lifts Keegan up and drops him a couple of times. I I gained some respect for Bo Dallas in that moment. Respect I never thought I would have for him. He also gets in a kick to the face on Keegan, at which point... Someone in the crowd who is decidedly not a believer starts up a Keegan, Keegan chant. <laughs> Guys, Keegan is a jobber, right? Yeah. How unpopular do you have to be as a wrestler before the crowd wants the jobber to win? Pretty fucking unpopular. <laughs> and thing is, the commentary, William Regal and the other guy, Tom or Todd, or 
whatever the name is. Bob, a very important thing in the commentary is being able to tell the backstory of a performer or of a character like they did a lot with Leo Kluger. You know, Regal explaining that the slices from cricket and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But then they try and do this with Keegan where they're like, <laughs> oh, he's the guy they call to be a bouncer when things get rowdy in Boston clubs. And oh I'm like, really? God. <laughs> this is a man who is very tall, yep. but kind of has a bald spot. And yeah. like you said, is wearing the knee socks. The closest he would come to being a bouncer is like, hey, you kids, settle down. <laughs> this is actually the worst type of crowd for you to have for a match. Ooh. Because you noticed it, like they're not cheering. They're not booing. They're not engaged with the product. The other thing to keep in mind is that um, this particular episode is the last episode of this television taping. Okay. Which uh. means that in this case, the crowd has been there a while. They're Ooh. tired. They're ready to go home. Next episode is going to be the first episode of the new TV taping. And you're going to see a much more fired up animated crowd because uh. it's the very beginning of the show. I mean, I'm assuming whenever they do a taping, it would be like what a four hour event. Something like that, yeah. Because they okay. usually tape four episodes of TV in these days uh, during okay. a taping. There's more stuff happening for the live crowd that we're not seeing on TV. Oh. So, yeah, these people have been there for like four or five hours. Jeez. Okay. Well, Keegan pins Bo for a second and the crowd is super into it. <laughs> uh, then Dallas starts doing some damage repeatedly, dragging Keegan down to the mat. Like, you know, Dallas is a very tenacious chihuahua. He pins Keegan <laughs> with both of his legs up, which I remember is a roll-up, correct? The deciding pinfall, I think um, Bo hits his finishing move, which is that belly-to-belly -belly suplex is what that's called. Barely a finishing move. <laughs> right. Well, so, like, a roll-up is when instead of hitting a big move and then pinning somebody, you just roll them up into a pin, and it's kind of surprising. Oh, okay. Whereas he gets his legs up in the air during the pin because you're supposed to hook the legs during oh, the pin to prevent them from kicking out. okay. But he hit him with a big move first, so. Okay. And so, yeah, in this case, I think he hooked both legs. And you actually see some wrestlers will hook a leg and then hook their hands together as mm. they hold down on the other side. I've seen it's that. It's, again, more theatrics to show I am holding you down in a way that it becomes harder to kick out of. Okay, so the crowd reacts to his victory with deafening indifference like they cannot scrape together <laughs> enough fucks to boo him. And just then, Chekhov's gun fires and Kruger gets That's into right. the ring. He pulls Keegan up, smacks him down, and this just sort of kicks him to the edge of the ring so he rolls right off the apron and out of sight. It's like watching a dead bug being kicked under the couch. Uh, <laughs> conveniently, the ref is on a tea break, I guess. The match is over at that point, so the ref doesn't really need to be there. The oh, wrestlers wow. can do whatever they want outside the boundaries of the match. Oh, okay. So the crowd starts chanting, Kruger, Kruger, and Dallas looks pretty freaked out. Kruger reaches out and touches the belt, and Dallas snatches it away. Kruger does a maniacal grin at Dallas and starts backing away, saying, Ta-ta, champ! Guys, I suspect, right, that this might be foreshadowing. Do you think this might be a feud in the making? A galaxy brain says, you know, this is definitely something. <laughs> it's a very small galaxy brain that's happening. <laughs> I gotta say, I'd forgotten that Bo Dallas is just the wettest boy. Yeah. He's, he's so, so wet. wet. Just like his long hair, like plastered across his so back. Stringy. And I'm just like, ugh. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Okay, so match four, which is genuinely beautiful and enjoyable. Surf boy Ono comes out to the ring, followed by sulky fairy prince Corey Graves. <laughs> and then Sylvester LaFour comes out to introduce Scott Dawson and Garrett Dillon. 
If you look closely, Sylvester LaFour has applied more spray tan on himself than I have ever seen on one person. <laughs> and his abs are now the color of a finely roasted brisket. Wrestlers love them some spray tans, let me Jeez. tell you. Jeez. So Cassius and Dawson start the match. Ono kind of twists him around and then tags in Graves. The two of them trade off working Dawson over. Looks pretty good. Then Graves is in the ring, but Dawson gets him on the back foot. And then they just sort of torture Corey Graves for four minutes. Graves is finally able to essentially flop his way over to tag in Ono, who responds by dropping the full weight of his back onto Dawson's chest and that looked pretty bad. I yep. was impressed that yep. Dawson took that. The noise that Dawson makes when he lands on him. It sounds like like if you had an air mattress and then you dropped like a like a cinder yeah. block on it and all the air went out of it right away. Like, huh! And I was, was like, I know yeah. they practice, but I, I don't think you could practice enough. I just don't think that's possible. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah, you yeah. can't work out a lung. Of the things right. you could exercise, <laughs> that's not one of them. So Dawson comes back from this enough to position Ono for the finishing butt to the head that Dylan is going to do. And then he's pinned, but Graves leaps in to stop it. And I wanted to ask guys, what is the situation with that? Because if you are allowed to save your partner from pinning, why don't tag teams always do that? Or does it serve a special purpose in the narrative? So there is an unofficial rule. Well, it's, it is an official rule, but it's one of those ones kind of like hitting with a closed fist where you're apparently not supposed to do it. And you'll see the ref caution people who do mm. it. It happens all the time to extend narrative drama. The rule is you're only allowed to break up a pin on your partner twice in a match. Oh. After that, you've, you've used up all your special meter and you're not allowed to do it anymore. But it happens all the time. <laughs> this is why we bring on guests, because I had no idea that was a thing. Thank you, Lucas. Oh, wow. <laughs> it does all go back to what we talked about when we were talking about disqualifications way back in the, um, oh, in the uh, episode in the zero, times. Bob. Yeah. yeah. Something like breaking up the pin on your partner. It's not strictly a thing you're supposed to do, but the referee is always very reluctant to disqualify somebody if they don't have to. Okay. So you're more likely to see the wrestler get a, a stern warning than, uh, <laughs> than an actual consequence. A stern. I love that that's how wrestling functions as opposed to, and I'm going to use a soccer reference, as opposed to like yellow card and red card. Nothing of that. Like if you get too many, then you're going to go to timeout. You're not going to be allowed to play anymore. They're just like, no, just a stern warning. <laughs> The way that you would do it in the backyard of a friend's house. That's right. If the parent yells out the window, that's fine. If they come out the back door, oh shit. Right. Ono tags Graves in who ties Dylan up in the rope so his legs are twisted around the lowest rope and the middle rope is riding Dylan's butt crack. And I want to say the rope looks forgiving, but I do not think it looks that forgiving. (laughs) So Corey Graves gets Dylan in a submission hold. He taps out, but there's still four minutes to go in the episode. Mm. And oh, Mm. shit, from stage left, it's the Wyatt family. They come at Ono and Graves. It's looking bad. The crowd screams like it's a Beatle concert. And then Adrian Neville leaps into the ring. He takes on each bear boy and moves on to the next one. The cameras are switching around wildly, trying to take in (laughs) all the fighting. And then a hard cut to William Regal standing up behind the announcer's desk and running to the ring. Holy fuck, Regal is in the ring, still wearing his black button down and slacks. He's beating up the Wyatt family. But then Dawson and Dylan come up from behind. 
Ah, he's down on the mat and getting punched in the head. Neville, Ono, and Graves are nowhere to be seen. Rowan and Harper haul Regal up, and then Bray Wyatt runs at him for a body slam. Down he slumps. The Wyatt theme song is playing now. It's all over. But oh no! Wyatt runs over with a special delivery of extra fuck you kicks. (laughs) And then the theme song starts again as the Wyatt family leaves, and William Regal lies collapsed in the ring. It was so good. The glory days of NXT when you could still occasionally see a William Regal match. (laughs) Yeah, you see, Bob, every once in a while, they have the finish to the match and to the story of the episode, and then they get the signal from the referee, guys, there's two minutes left, and they go, oh, I'd better kick him some more. (laughs) Because you notice the music starts and plays for a bit and stops and then Bray kicks him again. Yeah. And then the music starts again because you have to have the music playing for the hard cut at the end of the episode. All right. Well, Bob, I want to know how you felt about this episode as a whole. But first, we're going to have to ring the bell on a couple of people. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. All right. It's not that bad, but it's, okay. it's not, you know, it's not nothing. So, first of all, I hope you didn't get too attached to Dante Dash. Uh, because I didn't really have a chance to, so. Yeah. This is his first and last match during our NXT coverage. Oh, as wow. far as I can tell, this is his last match, period. Dash started out in the Independent Wrestling Federation, the IWF in New Jersey, where he had a, a good amount of success before coming over to what would become NXT. He only had five televised matches in NXT, all of them losses, and I, I can't find any record of him competing after this. So okay. ring the bell for Dante Dash. Secondly... This person technically has two more appearances left in NXT, but they're like a year away, and one of them is as a different character. For our purposes, he's basically gone. Um, So we're going to go ahead and ring the bell for Garrett Dillon. Oh, whoa. Yeah, a.k.a. Jody Christofferson. Wow. (laughs) The actual son of Chris Christofferson. That's right. I couldn't believe it. This episode, as I mentioned, marks the end of this set of tapings, and he was released prior to the next set of tapings. Oh, okay. Unlike Dante Dash, though, Jody Christofferson has had a nice little career since then. Nothing super notable. He's wrestled all over the American Indies. He's won a few championships, nothing major, but he is still growing to this day. He is still wrestling right now. Jeez. Um, I mean, not right this second, I don't think, but like, you know, he wrestled like last week. So. Oh my gosh. (laughs) One thing I found when researching him is that his career has a bit of a pig theme. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, He's been known as War Pig Jody Christofferson. (laughs) He was once part of a group called the Pig Pen. What? Which included uh, current MLW World Heavyweight Champion Joseph Fatu. (laughs) And and at one point, he was part of a tag team known as Team Man Bear Pig. What? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, ringing the bell for Garrett Dillon. We'll see him a couple more times in the future, but uh, for the most part, he gone. All right. All right. So, Bob, uh, what did you think about this episode? Well, I texted you while I was watching it because whenever William Regal got up, it blew my mind and I wanted to know what happened immediately afterwards. And I've had other episodes in the past where I wanted to watch the next one, but this was the one whenever I was 
I was mad at you <laughs> that this is the <laughs> format of the show that I have to remain unspoiled by what's coming until we do the cheap pop quiz. So I can only watch one episode at a time. And I, in that moment, really blamed you for that, despite the fact that we agreed on this format <laughs> ahead of time. God damn that Miles character. Why did he yeah. have this idea? <laughs> My idea, as I recall, you were like, how can I get into wrestling? And I was like, you should watch NXT over the summer. And you were like, let's do a podcast, Yeah, Bob. <laughs> I was a fool. It's me. I was the villain the whole time. Yes, I apologize, Bob. You have played yourself. I have. I really have. I've made a rod for my own back. Well, uh, with that out of the way, I think it's time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf, I saw Adrian Neville running in at the end in his workout shorts instead uh-huh. of his regular basketball wrestling shorts. outfit. Yeah, little basketball <laughs> shorts. It made it feel truly spontaneous that he'd showed up. And I appreciated that detail so, so much because it completely changed the tone of his entrance from this was premeditated to this was impulsive and a gut reaction. And I loved it. Yeah. Miles and Lucas. What did your Elphias see? When Corey Graves got to the ring, and I am not super familiar with Corey Graves as a wrestler, I mostly know him as an announcer. But at a certain point, when he came into the ring in his Hot Topic trash pants yes. uh, with the suspenders on, yep. uh, and as the before mentioned by Bob, Bobby pinned Pompadour, because mm-hmm. he clearly doesn't know the right kind of pomade to buy that I buy. <laughs> and then he goes to the ring ropes, and he puts his fists on the ring ropes next to one another so you can read his stay down tattoos on his knuckles. Mm-hmm. And he like pops his shoulders a little and stares directly into the hard camera. Yeah. And I know in my head, I was picturing all of my friends and their love of kind of dumb emo fuckboys <laughs> and how much that would have struck them to their core and they would have made a high pitched noise <sighs> like from that movie Screamers. Oh. And. I just like looked at it and I even like screenshotted it on my phone and sent it to my friend Ree because they're in the group chat and went, hey, Ree, look at this. And they just sent me a million heart eye emojis. Yep. Bob getting called out again. I know. Harsh. Harsh. I did not come here for this. And yet (laughs) I did. How dare you look directly into my soul. I know. You little trash boy. I'm going to uh, quickly transition us into another edition of Butt Watch. (gasps) Yeah, Butt Watch. So, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Scott Dawson. Yes. So, like, it's not unusual to see wrestlers have their names on their butts, right? That happens Mm. all the time. Yeah. Yes. But Scott Dawson is out here wearing red trunks, and he's got, like, a little white index card shape on his butt with his name written inside that. And for all the world, it looked to me like one of those Hello, My Name Is stickers. Right. That he just slapped on his butt. That's the iron-on patch you'd put on a work shirt. Jesus. Or like when you work at a gas station or something. Yeah, my name is And it would say his name. That was exactly it. It was in character. I just, I thought it was fucking hilarious. They gave two conflicting origins for (laughs) uh, Dawson and his partner, where initially they were found having a fist fight at a country music festival, but then pointed out that they were friends since childhood and used to run a trailer park together. Oh my God. Yeah, that was weird. A weird little addition from from Tom. (laughs) While we're still in butt watch, I did want to say to appreciate Garrett Dillon as we lose him. His butt 
has sparkly glitter letters. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> that was Because he's the fancy one. I guess. That's, right. That's how you know. <laughs> Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? My Vulcaneers heard several things, but there was one thing that I couldn't ignore and yelled at the TV, which was William Regal saying about Sylvester LaFour, you know, he told me his great uncle was the man that invented the sandal, <laughs> Philippe Falop. And I, <laughs> I sat up on the couch and yelled, you fucking dad. <laughs> I was so happy when I heard that. I was like, was so how many kids do you have? Because you are not allowed to make a joke like that unless you have at least two. Oh, oh. oh as, as a dad myself and Miles as a soon to be dad. It's like observing a perfect like crystal formed on the wall of a cave. It's just like, and this is saying this as someone who, when talking to another person about a cataract operation they were planning for, said, I'm surprised you didn't see it coming. Oh. <laughs> That's right. In my job, I did that. In my actual job, I said that. Oh, my God. All right. All right, you dads. What did your Vulcan ears hear? My Vulcan ears heard how they're trying with Corey Graves' music very much to evoke CM Punk's early career. Yeah. Because they have picked a song, which is the Jimmy Hart knockoff version of that Killswitch Engage song that CM Punk used to come into. And I was hearing it, and for a second I thought, are they just playing it backwards? Uh. And then, no, you realize it's actually a different song. And that's not a work because Corey Graves is, in fact, involved in the hardcore scene and stuff. But, yeah, they're very much going for a thing. Yeah, Corey Graves is is dollar store CM Punk basically, oh. and it does not it does not surprise me at all that they were at one time uh, very good friends. I don't think that's true anymore. But no, they, they broke up in the great. way that scene friendships always do, in that one person said a thing that the other felt was not authentic enough, and I then know, they geez. had a really bitter twigger argument, and now they're not friends anymore. That's right. That's right. My Vulcaneers also from this match heard there was a great moment where they're trying to throw it to commercial, and they're like. We'll be right back as NXT rolls on and then somebody pinned somebody else. Yeah. Like got to cover. And Tom was like, oh, wait, Dawson with the cover. Uh, no, kick out. OK, we'll be right back when NXT rolls on. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved it because like, again, kind of like what you were saying with with Neville and his gym shorts, Bob, it made it feel really authentic. It was like we want to go to commercial, but oh, wait, the match almost just ended. So we have to stop. OK, now now we feel safe going to commercial. Okay. I really enjoyed yeah. that. Bob, what did your human heart feel? I screamed. When William Regal ran to the ring, I just <laughs> screamed because for whatever reason, it had never occurred to me that something like that would happen. Even though Miles, you had mentioned William Regal at this point is still wrestling. And yet mm. it, I never thought, oh, he's going to get up from the announcer booth in his regular work clothes and go over there and get involved. I was over the moon. And then also whenever he's just getting beaten on. I felt so bad that Graves, Ono, and Neville weren't able to save him and then were just not in the shot anymore and disappeared. I was going, why would you not save him? Okay, Miles and Lucas, what did your human hearts feel? Uh, my human heart felt a swell of regret that I had not seen more Corey Graves matches because <laughs> of everyone in this episode... I was really impressed by his wrestling. Huh. Uh, that man can wrestle and did a lot of interesting and different things in the ring than anybody else on the episode. 
even the part where, as Bob mentioned, uh, the rope was wedged in the butt crack of, <laughs> of, I believe it was Dawson. But here's the thing, as William Regal then put over on commentary, he was using the bottom rope to torque the leg and then hooking it behind the middle rope and then putting his full weight on it. Mm-hmm. And he was using it in the way he would, might use his body in a submission hold, but he was using an inanimate object that way. A young Bret Hart, for example, used to use the ring post to wrap someone's legs around to apply extra torque. And William Regal said it on commentary, and I said it watching it myself. I've never seen anyone do it in the way that Corey Graves had done it. Mm -hmm. And so I was hit with this pang of regret because while Corey Graves is a great announcer, he no longer wrestles. And I wish I had seen more of him at his peak. Hmm. Interesting. I hate to do this because so far all of our sights, sounds, and feels have been from the one match. And I hate breaking patterns, but... um, My human heart just swelled for Emma. Yes. We already talked about it, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I love her. I love the bubbles. I love her trying to poke the bubbles. I love her bringing the kids into the ring at the end of the match so she can dance with them. It was really cool. I just... I don't know. I'm really into early Emma. And I mean, frankly, I'm into Emma at all times, but early Emma is just really fucking choice, and I love what she's doing. The NXT crowd in particular love a silly gimmick. They love it. (laughs) They are in on the joke. They know exactly what is happening and they are committing to the bit. Like you see everyone in that audience is doing the Emma dance when Emma comes out. And they are doing along with her (laughs) terrible music. Right. There have been wrestlers who have become popular purely because the audience loves to sing along to the music of their intro. I'm looking at you, Fandango. (laughs) So many wrestlers. Uh, Yeah. And Bob, you hear the crowd being super into Emma, which means Emma is what, Bob? Emma is hot. Emma yes, is. Yes, that, that is an objective fact, but <laughs> a, a, a specific, Wait, oh, a specific oh, term that we talked Emma about recently. Emma is over. Emma is over. Yes. Yay! Which one is extremely over? Wrestling term of the week last time. We're not going to have a wrestling term of the week this time because we don't have time for it. Uh, but Bob's going to tell us which characters are going to be in her fanfic uh, on the next episode. It will be the Mighty Monarch from Venture Brothers <laughs> in a match with Scott Pilgrim. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Just the shittiest dudes. My <laughs> body is yeah. ready. Neither of them deserve anything good in this world, but here we are. All right. Well, uh, look for that on the next episode, ladies and gentlemen. And we are going to close things out at this point with this week's Cheap pop quiz. Bob, are you ready? I am. Question number one. So uh, you already know that despite competing in a number one contenders match for the tag team titles on this episode, Garrett Dillon is now gone from the company. Yes. How do they write him off television on the next episode? Is it A, LaFour and Dawson come to the ring to explain that Dillon was the weak link, which is why they lost and they've kicked him off the team? B, LaFort and Dawson come out to the ring with Dylan's hat and jacket, then proceed to stomp on them and throw them into the crowd, non-verbally signaling his departure. C, LaFort and Dawson come to the ring and explain that they've joined the Wyatt family and have sacrificed Dylan to Bray Wyatt <laughs> in, an unholy, in an unholy ritual to prove their loyalty. Oh my god! Or is it D... They don't explain it. LaFort and Dawson come to the ring and LaFort is like, hey, everyone, check out my dude, Scott Dawson, who has definitely never had a tag team partner. 
Oh, man. I'm just going to go with what my heart wants, and my heart really wants them to say, yeah, we did an unholy ritual, and it was totally worth it. No regrets. So I'm choosing C. (laughs) Lucas, I'm curious, what do you think is the answer to this question? Since I think it's obscure enough, you might not know. I I don't know, and I'm going to go with B. I'm going to go with they stomp on his hat and vest and check him out into the crowd. All right, question number two. The winners of that number one contenders match, Graves and Ono, also do not end up wrestling for the tag titles. What the fuck? As as one of them has been temporarily (laughs) taken off television. Which one and why? Is it A, Corey Graves because he got legitimately injured during the match? Is it B, Cassius Ono, because he got legitimately injured during the match. C. Corey Graves, because he pissed off some people backstage and is being disciplined. Or D. Ono, because he wasn't spending enough time in the gym for NXT's liking, and he is being disciplined. I don't know. There's this thing about Cassius Ono that of everybody in NXT, he has the least of a six-pack, which I like about him. I like his softness. Uh I'm wondering if they thought he wasn't spending enough time in the gym. Is that a thing they care about? Uh, Is that your answer? Yeah, I'm going to say that. All right. Lucas, do you know the answer to this question? I do actually know the answer. All all possibilities are extremely likely. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, We're not going to ask for your input on this one. Bob has chosen D, Ono, because he wasn't spending enough time in the gym. I already know I'm wrong, but I don't know which one is right, so it doesn't even matter. All right. And uh, we're definitely not going to ask Lucas about this next one because I know he knows it. (laughs) Question number three. Bob, next episode features the return of Cesaro to NXT television. But something's happened with him on the main roster since last time we saw him. (laughs) Is it A, he found religion and is now going around praying for people and telling everyone his tag team partner is God? Oh, no! B, he dropped some acid and is now a hedonistic party boy rock star who is escorted to the ring by a parade of freaky, weirdly dressed groupies. Oh, God. C, he took a trip to the jungle and returned with something called a luchasaurus, which is a massive wrestler in a reptilian luchador mask whom Cesaro now rides to the ring. Or is it D, He got red-pilled by a group of racists who call themselves the Real Americans and now wants to make America great again by getting rid of all the immigrants, despite the fact that he himself is not American. One of these is true. My brain is melting out my ears. These are all equally batshit. Oh, God. Um... So this happened on the main roster. This happened on the main roster in between NXT shows. Okay, will it be referenced in NXT? Will I get the answer? Yes. Okay. Yes, you will <sighs> You will know immediately. I'm going to say the Luchasaurus. <laughs> All right, see, he took a trip to the jungle and returned with something called a Luchasaurus, who is a massive wrestler in a reptilian luchador mask, whom Cesaro now rides to the ring. And Bob, I just want to point out, even the answers that are not correct have all been done. And when I say all been done, they've all been done in the last 10 years. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> That's the thing about it is that I was going, these are all real, aren't they? These are all these are things all that have happened. But only one of them applies to Cesaro <laughs> in 2013. Oh my God. All right. 
So come back next episode to see how Bob did on this week's Cheap Pop Quiz. Lucas, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, we really appreciate your presence. And um, go listen to The Math of You. It's a great podcast. Yes, absolutely oh, go thanks, listen. Guys. And I was really excited to hear that you folks were doing this show. And uh, as I said to Bob in the pre-show, look, this episode compared to the heights of NXT that is to come. It's like watching someone be on methadone and Bob, I am excited for the heroin in your future, which is a sentence I never thought I would say out loud. <laughs> Aww. <clears throat> Thanks, Lucas. Thank you so much, Lucas. One last question for you. Um, yep. Do you have any advice for Bob on how to go from wrestling ignorance to full-on smartdom? Anything you want to tell her? Uh, yeah, I think you should pick the things that you like. And I don't just mean wrestlers. I don't just mean like matches or shows. I think you should find the individual aspects of something you like and seek out things that are similar to that. Because I have introduced a bunch of people to wrestling. And what I find is the prime thing that wrestling fans will do wrong is they want to just like open the floodgates and give a, a new person all of wrestling. And that is really overwhelming. The only thing I can compare it to is someone saying, hey, I'm interested in comics after watching the MCU. Why don't you tell me about something? And you giving them the entire Roger Stern Avengers canon in like a 20-minute <laughs> conversation. Boy, it's howdy. too much. Wrestling fans who want to get new fans in, I know you're going to want to make your jokes and do your memes and stuff. But if a person has no context, it's just noise. So treat it like recommending any media to anyone. If someone's interested, for example, in the ridiculous antics of Velveteen Dream and Shinsuke Nakamura, there are people like that that you can recommend. Don't immediately say, all right, well, you need to go and watch Ring of Honor from 2007 and watch <laughs> two guys in black trunks and, and white boots, both with shaved heads and beards, have a purely technical match for 25 minutes. No, that's not what they want. You got to listen to your audience. That's my big advice. Cool. Right on. Well, thank you so much, Lucas. Uh, why don't you take a minute to tell us where people can find you online? Okay, so if you wanted to follow My Wacky Adventures on Twitter, it's at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D. I do yell a lot about a lot of things and also do some anecdotes from being a parent to a two-year-old and occasionally throw in some cute photos of my little son. If you wanted to follow the show, it's at The Math of You, just like it sounds, or you can go to themathofyou.com. We've just come back from a little hiatus. I've got some really fun episodes in the pipe, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, we're available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, all the usual places. But you can go to themathofyou.com to find it directly. All right. Well, thank you so much thank for being you. here, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I think that's all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan in terms of us talking about this episode of NXT. But I do think we have some business to take care of before we go. We do. I'll get out the meeting minutes. Yeah. Okay. So Bring first, out the agenda. Yeah. First on the agenda, Brian Clark asked on Twitter a very pressing question. Miles, is Mick yeah. Foley the gonzo the great of professional wrestling? And if not, who would you say is? So as you know, Megan Bob, and as anyone knows who I think anyone should know who has listened to Smash Fiction regularly, I know almost nothing about the Muppets. Give me some like defining traits of gonzo. Extremely enthusiastic. Fearless, okay, that sounds like does yep. not care if he gets injured. One of his traditional activities is being shot out of a cannon. All um, right. Well, yeah, this sounds like McFoley to me. Okay. Loves chickens, has a passionate relationship with Camilla the chicken. Not being maybe a little bit less like McFoley, but you never know. 
Okay. And there was a really great question from Marissa that I think Miles is also the right person to take on. And Talk about Marissa Bond here. Yes. Marissa asked, tangential to your discussion of race and wrestling, I'd be interested to know more about the naming conventions for wrestlers coming up with their own names. Like Biggie Langston is obviously invoking both Biggie Smalls and Langston Hughes, thus grounding his character as part of a conversation with other powerful black artists. How does the naming conventions offer a space for agency on the part of the wrestler and an opportunity to announce a nuanced identity in a culture that is, as you said, dot, 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 not that progressive? My understanding is that when wrestlers are coming up with new names for their characters, they work with the creative team. And, and this is like something you do in WWE or NXT. You work with the creative team, you figure out what your character is, and you kind of jointly come up with a name. There's a lot of times where you kind of get saddled with a crappy name, but a lot of wrestlers, you know, get to work with creative teams to figure out what they want to be known as. And of course, on the indies, you know, usually like you pick your character, you pick your name, and then you try to get booked at shows. You know what I mean? So in a lot of ways, it's a very individualized part of the creative process. Uh, I will say that, unfortunately, at some point during Big E Langston's state on the main roster, he was uh, unfortunately and sadly stripped of the Langston part of his name and now just goes by Big E because they do that to a lot of people. Mm. So thank you for that question, Marissa. I really appreciate it. I hope that was a satisfactory answer. In a weirder tweet scenario, Mega Dumbcast, Chris Newton, tweeted some beautiful lyrics for a sexy Borg song and uh, Miles chimed in and there was a beautiful duet. So and it was I, quite fun. I'm just really pleased that that happened. Just one of the many things you can experience on the NXT wrestling fan uh, Twitter uh, account. So yes. if you are not already following us and you appreciate what we do, go do it there. And I have no beautiful transition for this because we got a review. This review is from Rata Seti, which is a fantastic name. Yeah, I like it. And the review says, NXT Superfan, I was looking around for an NXT show and yours came across. I subscribed and I don't regret it, which is what we love to hear. Yeah, that's the first step. <laughs> yes. And said, thank you for sticking to your subject, not bashing and talking about modern wrestling. I like that it is less than an hour, easy to listen to, and having a woman is a plus. Thank you. Great show. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Really appreciate that, Rata yeah, Seti. And thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that people are kind of picking up on what we're trying to do here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, stick to our lane. <laughs> this one may not be less than an hour. I suspect it isn't, but you know. Probably not. But many of them will be. The ones with guests might be a little bit longer because we like talking to people and all of a sudden there are three of us. Yeah. So. It's very novel. All right. And we also wanted to make uh, an announcement. Miles, do you want to say what we're going to be doing? So uh, starting right now, as you listen to this, Megan, Bob and I are beginning the first ever NXT Wrestling Fan Podcast Review Drive. Yes. It is not like NPR where you're going to get a tote bag. Yeah. Also, we're not going to like break our fucking format in the middle of every show to fucking talk about it. <laughs> we're not going to send you a DVD of cats. That's not right. what's going to happen. If you've already given us a review and if you give us a review anytime from now until our ninth episode comes out on November 30th, anytime between now and then, if you review us, your name goes into the pot. And at the end of that time, we're going to pick a name out of it. Whoever gets chosen gets to demand Miles and I do a special bonus episode that will be available to everybody where they can choose either a match that they feel passionately we should cover. And then if you are a person who doesn't have strong wrestling feelings yet, 
that's fine. We will also watch an episode of something else that you would like us to cover. And we will cover it in the style of an NXT wrestling fan episode. Yeah, we're just uh, hoping to kind of kickstart things and hoping to get our, our name out a little bit more than it already has been. Really appreciate everybody who's reviewed so yeah. far without the promised rewards. Trust me. But yeah, from now until episode nine coming out on November 30th, uh, a review will get you a chance at the grand prize, which is listening to us talk even more about <laughs> yes, something. Yes, and it'll be released as a as a bonus episode on the main feed, but it will be an extra episode that's released. So yeah, everybody gets to listen to it. Yes, and uh, you get to decide what it is. Special person out there who we may already have gotten a review from, or may not have gotten a review from yet. We will say though, like keep it within the realm of civility. You know that. Bob is a big ball of softness and yeah. has a hard time with extreme violence or like, you know, queer bashing and that kind of stuff. So, like, use your judgment. Yeah, I don't like that shit either. So I don't want to watch it either. Preferably things that we would enjoy and not things that we're going to be like, wow. So we wish we had an hour of our lives back. Yeah, I mean, we'll I'm willing to try something and experience it. But yeah, I just if it could be something that's not. Not horribly painful, I guess. Yes. And with that, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. We will be back in two weeks with episode seven. Back to our regular format. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. The backpack white album just brings me back very specifically. Thank you, May. I know. I was thinking about it and I went, what is the most goth but throwback goth thing there is? Ah, yes. Writing lyrics or poetry on your backpack and white out to show people how cool you were? Question mark, question mark. (laughs) Up there with tying together a broken wallet chain with a bit of mesh that you clipped off your backpack. That's right. Metal. Truly. (laughs) Not that I have ever perpetrated such heinousness myself.